0: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: you're listening to the fish untamed podcast your home for fly fishing in the backcountry This is episode 54 with Heidi Lewis on Wet Flies and Cutthroats. I usually just start with getting a little background. So if you just want to tell me, uh, how'd you get your start in the outdoors um, and especially fishing?
2: So, um, I fished my entire life there. I mean, since I was two years old, there's a picture of me cutting up a worm on a dock in Wisconsin and my dad got a stick and some, you know, line off of it. And I'm out there catching bluegills off the, off the dock. And like, I don't know if it's from the picture, but I feel like I remember that day. I remember cutting the worms on the little box and everything. And, um, you know, I grew up kind of around it because my dad was a charter fisherman on Lake Michigan in the summers. Um, and so probably like most guides or charter fishermen, you know, it's work. So we didn't get to go out a ton and fish, which, you know, is kind of a bummer because I think that maybe could have really changed my life, but I don't know, you know, if I would have been ready for
1: it necessarily. You mean going out like on the boat with him?
2: Yeah, I we went out a couple times, and I remember fishing in Lake Michigan with downriggers for you know they go out there for big salmon and um, big trout. And I remember reeling in until I couldn't reel anymore this like thirty pound brown trout, like oh, wow. the depth of Lake Michigan. You know, it was so cool. I, I can't remember how old I was, but you know those moments were kind of few and far between. So I always liked fishing, but I I didn't always get to do it. Um, and I think because for him, it was a job, you know, it is in the summer and like, he didn't want to go out and he didn't have to. Right. I think like, like a lot of guides, you know, kind of get burnt out in that way. So, but I didn't start fly fishing till 2012. Oh, um, that's the,
1: that's the same year I started.
2: Okay. Awesome. <laughs> that is a good year. It's, it's a great year. year. <laughs> yeah. So and before that, I would go out. You know, with my husband, he already knew how to fly fish, sort of, and I would be like, "I'm fishing with worms because that's how you catch fish." You know, I was just like into, and in, I was just a, you know, that's how you start, bait or lures, right? Um, so I started doing that, and I'm like, yeah, "This is really easy." Like, you know, it'd be nice to have a challenge. And then I went to an F3T show with him here in Salt Lake, and I'm watching the videos that year. It was pro- It was 2012 um, in February. And I don't even remember what I watched at this point. I should go back and watch it, but I was like, this looks cool. This looks fun. I want to do this. And so like that night I went on to my local fly shop, which is right down the street. I went onto their website. Um, Cause I've seen them casting out front before. And so I knew they were just kind of around and um, I was just looking up classes, you know, see what they had to offer. I, I really had no idea. Like how to get into it. And there was a women's class offered. And so I called them the next day and I said, Hey, do you know, do you have any spots left? And it was like a couple months later, it was in April and they're like, yeah, we have one spot left. Uh, like um, sign me up Let's do this. <laughs> and yeah. And that was with Molly Semenik who is now she, well, even then she was a certified casting instructor and she, um, lives in she, she lived in Montana and she would come down and support the shop with the women's class um, now she's in Washington I think she's in the Seattle area but um, so I learned from her and um, one of the guys that worked there and kind of the rest is history.
1: Danielle, do you ever go back to, to conventional gear or are you uh, all fly at this point?
2: I am all fly at this point I went in head first I mean if we take the girls out on the boat you know the kids and, you know, the 13 year olds rowing, you know, my husband, <laughs> a spinning rod, but I'll keep, I'll keep casting the fly. I like the fly. I mean, been there, done that. I, I just, it's just not for me anymore. Um, but I, I'm like, I get worms for the girls, you know, cause that's how you catch fish and you have to be engaged somehow.
1: Yeah. I think for kids, getting them on fish is a lot more important than like trying to force a certain technique on them. Just, you know, keep them engaged, mm-hmm. getting bites, uh, and that, that'll keep them coming back for more.
2: And fly fishing is hard. Oh my gosh. And to throw a kid in the mix with it, like with line management and casting. So I've done dry land casting with them at the park and stuff. And they're actually really good casters, but they don't have the patience for it. They're like, we're not catching anything. I'm like, well, I'm not either, but and that's just part of it. And so it's, yeah. And I'm not a guy. So I,
1: you know, I, I'm not a guide. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, I think the hard part with kids too is like even if they get the cast down, like that's only the beginning. You know, you still have to get a good drift. You still have to set the hook. And I've I've met a lot of kids who can get the cast down, but it's you know once the fly's in the water, they start to struggle a little bit. And I'm not sure if that's if there's something there that um, just kind of trips kids up. But it, it seems like they can get casting down before they are able to get the concept of like a dead drift and a the hook set and fighting the fish. Uh, that seems to I think catch on a little bit later.
2: Well, and I don't think that's just, um, re- uh, just for kids or just, you know, you know, that's like, I think anybody getting to fly fishing, that's kind of the, the transition is learning how to do all those things. Um, but I, I didn't grow up like camping. I didn't grow up doing a whole lot outside. I was into sports as a kid. Um, just riding bikes with friends, playing kick the can, you know, that sort of stuff. Like just being a kid, we didn't do much, like as far as camping goes. And then I moved out here and I, and I had a boyfriend that took me down to Moab for the first time, probably the first time I really slept in a tent. And I was like, Oh, this is super fun. This is awesome. I woke up. I remember that night and the moon was full blown, huge, bright and Moab, you know, you're just like, you're not around a lot out there. And it was shining in the tent. I'm like, what is that? Like, what is, <laughs> they do have a spotlight on their car. <laughs> like, so like naive and I look outside, I, it was the moon and like that, that camping trip, you know, will forever stay in my mind. So, I mean, I, now we go camping all the time. Um, and, I just like I crave to be outside and I crave to hear the water and be in the middle of the trees and just all that stuff, you know, all of it.
1: You know, it makes you wonder uh, with, the, with people who really get involved in the outdoors, how much of it depends on how good that first experience is. Like you said, you went you went camping, and I feel like Moab is a great place to you know have your first camping experience. Everything's beautiful. Uh, if you haven't been to the desert before, it's just like awe inspiring. Um, and it sounds like you had a great trip, and it stuck. But you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who it would catch on for if they had an experience like that. But maybe the first time they went, it was you know there's mosquitoes everywhere, and it rained the whole time. And it, I feel like there's probably people out there who've just been set on a completely different path because. The first time they experienced the outdoors, it didn't go well.
2: Yeah. And if you don't grow up with it, you know, it kind of depends who you meet later in life. Maybe that gets you out there. Because so I'm not the type of person to do those things by myself. I don't, I don't have any desire to travel alone. I've never camped by myself. <laughs> so, you know, it took somebody else to introduce me. That. So, uh, yeah, I'm grateful for that experience. So, now as a family, and my husband now, he grew up, he was a Boy Scout. You know, he grew up in upstate New York. He was in the woods all the time. He's an Eagle Scout. So, like, we get into a lot of adventures with that guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's pretty fun. And the girls have been exposed to a lot. So,
1: you know, uh, I wanted to ask because you mentioned that you kind of got uh, introduced to fly fishing through the the film tour, which I haven't heard that as a as an entrance to fly fishing before. What was it like watching people do it? When like, how familiar with were you with what fly fishing is? Because I feel like if I had seen that for the first time, having no experience with it, I would be a little confused about what's going on. And I'm just curious, like what when you were watching it, what was going through your mind in terms of like what what you were seeing? Yeah, so actually, my husband was an angler already at that point.
2: Okay. But I never had gone out with him. Um, and I had a young, I had two young children. So the timing was part of it too. So I had at the, when I picked up fly fishing, I had a two and a half year old, almost three year old, and then a five year old, I think it would have been, or four or something, you know, four year old. So, you know, I was a stay at home mom. I was just, I was mom and kids all the time. So he would go out and I knew he did it, but I, he would never, I don't ever remember hearing him like, Oh, I caught a bunch of fish or, you know, I, like I didn't hear too much about the experience other than he'd gotten. I, I watched him a few times. We would go up in the mountains and like take the kids and I would see him casting and, but he never caught anything. So I was like, Oh, I don't even know if this works. Like I didn't know much about <laughs> it. I was like you have to buy boots and you have to buy weight. I'm like, how much money are you spending? Like, what else do you need to buy for this sport? I remember thinking that like, holy hell, like what else do you need? I mean, that's a, that's definitely a valid thought. <laughs> I had no idea. Like, I'm like, you
1: need special boots. Like, what is that? <laughs> and now I have like three pair for myself, you know? <laughs> like- I mean, it's still easy to look and just be like, do I really need this yeah. all this stuff and then understand what he was doing right so so you were kind of familiar with you know you didn't I know familiar. how to do it but you're familiar
2: uh, yeah i knew of it and i had seen him and so he brought me to that show with like his buddies and just seeing like the stoke on the screen of what these people were doing i was like that looks really fun and you know and again like i had always liked fishing i felt like at the time in my life um, I needed some time out of the house and I needed an activity that didn't involve like just going to the mall or doing, you know, like, I'm just not that type of person. Like I just needed something to do, um, where I could just go and do it. And it just kind of like fell into place. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. And the timing was right. The class was there. Um, I caught fish during that class. I caught two fish on my first day of fly fishing. And really since that day, I don't think I've missed more than two weeks in between fly fishing. I go, I go every week. I like, I make a point at least to go one day a week. And so if I go like a weekend trip, maybe I'll skip a week or something, but I really like, it's like going to exercise. It's going to, it's like going out for a walk. It's like a habit. It's
1: a habit. So since 2012, I, I have fished at least once a week, if not more. I haven't. I don't think I've spoken to many people who aren't guides who who fish that often. Like I, you know, I feel like I fish more than the average person, but I I can easily go a month or two without fishing if you know other things come up or whatever, and then I might go a whole bunch in a row, or I might go for like a week at that point. But uh, yeah, it's I don't meet a lot of people who can go that consistently. That's that's pretty impressive.
2: If I skip a, a couple of weeks, I'm like I feel anxious. I get a little depressed. I like. I fish all year long. I fish every season. I fish in the snow. Like I think if I had me maybe other hobbies that I was that into, I could skip some more time, but I mean, there are other things I like to do, but that really takes precedent on like any other thing I want to do. So I dove in like that where I remember my first year of fishing and the I I have like a local fly shop called Western rivers, fly fisher that, they're like my people. So I took every class they had to offer after that women's class with the same instructor with Nick. And, um, I just like soaked it all up. I'm like, tell me more, like ask questions. Like how do I do this? I'd go into the fly shop after I went fishing, be like, Hey, I saw this and I saw this and I couldn't catch a fish. Like, why didn't I catch a fish? Like I used this fly, like, tell me what I did. And I just like went in there and I would just like nail them with questions. And they just, they just would sit and like chat with me. They were awesome. Like that fly shop, I think too if it wasn't for them, you know, where would I be? Like they were a huge support system in the journey and they still are.
1: I mean, that's kind of the the whole thing behind supporting your local fly shops. So, you like you're not going to get that kind of support from going to like a big box store or ordering your stuff on Amazon. Like that that what I is what I feel like the fly shop that's that's the niche the fly shop fills. You can get your gear from, from anywhere. I mean, it's it's the knowledge and the, the people that you meet there that, that really makes it what it is. Yeah, and I always
2: felt welcomed. You know, I know some women don't always get that treatment, um, but I've been lucky where I've never felt unwelcomed in a fly shop and maybe... Maybe I'm oblivious because I'm just so like I'm just fishing all day, you know, I'm like oh, whatever I don't know what they said. Just I don't just even don't, notice. I don't even notice. I just want to <laughs> talk about fishing, you know. Like, um, so I would just, you know, I just dove into conversations with them. Um, but you know, they were they were just really welcoming and close to home. And so easy place to spend money. Really kind of uh, like in a in a funny way, like <laughs> kind of bad they were so close to home because
1: was like, here's my paycheck <laughs> like the gro- it's like stopping at the grocery store on the way home yeah, stop at the grocery store on the way home like oh let's get some more flies I'll get
2: some you know a new fly line whatever um so yeah, I spent a lot of time there just picking their brains and just chatting and trying to figure out what I was doing right and when I was doing wrong and they
1: entertained it now, what's the fishing like around Salt Lake? Because I remember when I was there, you know, the city was in between, it was kind of in like a basin, and we went up into the mountains. And there were, you know, streams as you drove up the canyon, there were streams, but I didn't, I don't feel like I got the um, full picture of like what all is available around Salt Lake.
2: So I would say the best fishing is 45 minutes and beyond. You know, there's a few small streams that come out of the canyons that you can fish in the summer and they hold fish. And um, so those are fun. They're like s- fun, small streams where, you know, I started fishing also, you know, it's tight spaces where I learned a lot of small stream techniques and I knew I would, you know, lose five to 10 flies. And that was the price I paid for the day for fishing, you know, um, before I learned about the bow and arrow cast, I would just chuck my fly into the water and then I went in the fly shop and I'm like, yeah, I'm just throwing my fly. They're like, Oh, you should learn this cast. I was like, oh, I had never heard of this. Like, Another example of like going in there and just chatting about your day, you know. So yeah, we have some small streams around, and then up towards Park City and beyond is kind of where, you know, a lot of our tailwaters and blue ribbon fisheries happen. And then yeah, yeah, southern Utah or south of in the state um, are some blue ribbons. We have a lot of tailwaters. We don't have a lot of spring-fed streams. Most of our rivers are dammed. There's a few that are free stone completely, but kind of few and far between at this point. So yeah, you can go an hour and a half, two hours and have great fishing too. So, I mean, pretty accessible, you know, you can do it in a day stretch or a day trip, Um, but we really only have one kind of floatable river, which is the Green River um, that's east of Salt Lake. It's about three and a half hours. We were just there last weekend. So yeah, only one, you know, drift boat floating river.
1: Now, I, I saw you mentioned um, before we got on that like you were interested in talking about uh, how you find places to fish. Like, do you have a lot of areas that you can just kind of go explore and, and find small water to fish? Or are you kind of generally hitting the same spots, like the same larger spots over and over again?
2: So, I, you know, I have some where I learn how to fish on the Provo is 45 minutes away. And so that's a river I'm comfortable always going alone. Um, I know it all, for every season. I know it in high water, I know it in low water, I know where to cross. So that's a place that I can always go and be comfortable. And so I think everybody should have a river like that where you know it like the back of your hand, where if the flows change, you're like, well, I know I can cross there because I know what the bottom is like Um, because I was there in low water and I could see it. So a huge skill I think is important to have. Um, But beyond that, um, this book, which every state has one, it's called, fly fishers guide to, you know, whatever state, this is like the fly fishing Bible. Right. So I would go, I'd kind of look through this and just look through books and then get on my Google map and like pin places. And then I'd go to the USGS and look at stream flows. Um, and I'd maybe look at the year before and change the date. So that's part of like trying to find where to go is paying attention to the flows and what time of year you're going, um, reading books, just exploring like, Oh, this place looks good at, you know, if we're passing by, if we're going to Moab, I'll take, I'll go off on a tangent and check this place out. All, your local fly shop, you know, could possibly share <laughs> some of those places with you that, you know, you don't want to post online, but verbally, and you have trust with people they'll share. I had some friends that took me to some really awesome places when I first started. And I'm very grateful for um, that shared that. So, you know, the community, finding your community too, you can find places to fish, but I really like looking in the book, looking at maps, you know, I have these late night sessions of like, same, (laughs) yeah, reading the book, looking at the map or like reading my, my, Chart book, like when I first started the Hatch Guide for Western Streams, like this thing was like that sits at the back bed. of my toilet. <laughs> yeah, see, it's next to my bed. And like, I remember having dreams about like giant hatches, you know, like, watch out what you read before you go back.
1: <laughs> Nightmare- nightmares of like swarms of yeah. stoneflies. Swarms of bridges, you know, like, <laughs> like, I remember these dreams.
2: Like, so, like, yeah, just, um, and learning the stream flows. I love like looking at stream flows. Um, and then I'll look back at, you know, how was there last year? What What is it like this year? And so that's kind of part of, of figuring out where to go is like
1: doing that research. Um, yeah. So now what are you looking for? Like when, when you are trying to find a spot, are you really focusing on like uh, species that you want to catch or is there a specific like type of water that you really like to fish because like I know when I'm looking for stuff you know if, I'd, I'd rather fish a small creek for native cutthroats than I would a stocked lake for rainbow trout you know like there's there's just some things that appeal to me more is there something that when you're looking you're like oh that sounds really really fun to fish or like eh, I'll pass on that because it's just not really my style
2: good question um, I'm not a big stillwater angler but they're important to know when the flows are high. So it depends on the time of year. For one, if I can get up there, how, what the elevation is in the area. Um, I don't really always target fish unless, you know, we have, a, we have the Utah cut slam. So if I'm, if I'm working on the slam, I definitely go for cutties and stuff like that. So, kind of, so mostly it's more of like location. Where am I going? Am I gonna be near somewhere? you know, kind of keeping a location in the back of my mind that if I ever go to that area, I kind of know it like, oh, I've heard of that river down there. So if we ever go camping in that area, you know, I know that there's fish in there. Um, You can look at stocking reports, you know, with your state and see a lot of our river, a lot of our waters are stocked here in the state, but they'll tell you what's in them. Um, So I don't, I'm not really like species specific other than like trout mostly, you know, I do like to fish for bass, but I don't, really do that so much in utah um but it's yeah i mean it depends what i'm doing like if we're going on a camping trip with the family i'll have a location of like hey let's go check out this spot because i heard you know i read that there are like big good-sized fish in there <laughs> so i like i i would prefer bigger fish and less of them than a lot of little, little fish that are stocked but if they're like native cutties i mean that's awesome like i love native fish yeah, tell me
1: more about the utah cut slam i haven't heard of it um, oh okay
2: Yeah, so um, the goal is to catch four of our native cutthroat species in their native ranges. So in their native drainages. So it's the Bonneville cutthroat, the Colorado cutthroat, the Yellowstone and the Bear River. Um, And so TU and the DNR put together this program and you can go online and look it up and it'll tell you areas of the state where the drainages are and what species you're targeting. And so it's really fun. You can go all throughout the state and catch the species. Is so it like an can,
1: organized event or is it just in your own time you just try to get them all under your belt? It's in your own time. There's no end. You can you have to sign up for it before you
2: go and catch them. And then you have an unlimited amount of time. So it's 20 bucks to sign up and $19 goes to conservation. It's a pretty awesome Program, so I think they've already raised. Oh gosh, I don't quote me on this, but fifty thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it's it's like a big program, a serious native chunk of things, change, yeah, serious chunk of change to do restoration um, for these streams where native fish live. So it's an awesome program. Um, so like I finished mine with some friends that came in from out of state um mostly in northern utah but you can go to southern utah eastern i mean there's all you can and i like i signed up for it again to do in like different areas of the state
1: yeah like complete it from different different rivers or something like that yeah different rivers yeah but it's all about where
2: these rivers drain to and that that designates um the the cutthroat that's in that area because they have to be in the native drainages. So, like, the Yellowstone is just in, like, a little corner of Utah.
1: Is that, like, the northeastern corner, I would north-western assume? Northwestern corner. Northwestern corner? It's
2: Yellowstone, yeah. It's in the northwestern corner.
1: Okay. I would have guessed that was up, like, uh, up closer to, like, Wyoming. Yeah, that way. Uh-uh. Not
2: the Yellowstone. Huh. The- okay. And I can't explain that right now. You have to. <laughs> I'm like, why? yeah, why is that? But it is for a reason. Yeah. Um,
1: have you thought about doing the um, I don't know what the actual challenge is called, but the the Western Native trout initiatives uh, version of this where you go try to catch um like however many native trout across the west. And I think I think there are maybe different tiers where if you catch, you know, uh, I'm just throwing out numbers here. Let's say 10, you get like the first level. And then if you get 15, it's the next level. And I I could totally be messing this up because I haven't done it, but um, it sounds similar, but it's all across the West instead of just in Utah. Have you, have you heard of what I'm talking about?
2: I've heard of it, but I don't know if Utah is a part of that program. I think California and I don't know too much about it, but Wyoming has a cut slam. I do know that. And I did do that one on accident
1: Oh, on accident. Tell me, tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote an article about
2: this. um, I think the beginning of the year with TU. um, And well, I heard about it. And so there's a certain area in Wyoming where you can get like three out of the four and it's not a paid program. Like the Utah one is you just, if you do it, you just record it and then send in your information and you get a really cool, like um, uh, certification and like this, like, uh, what is it like a pin or quite, I can't remember what it is. Um, so I, I had gotten the three in a certain area. We were camping one weekend and I realized, so I came back, I'm like, Oh, there's like, we fish like three different drainages. This is cool. And then last year we took the family to Yellowstone and I was, and like, I had never fished in the park and I'd only been in there a couple times. So I was just like, so excited just to like be in the park again and like have a chance to fish. And when I got back from that, I was like, oh, shoot, I caught my fourth cutthroat, which was the Yellowstone cutthroat in Yellowstone. And I'm like, I just finished the slam. Like, I just put it all together and it took me a minute, but I was so like enthralled with being in the Yellowstone and, and being in the Lamar Valley and just like, oh, it's just amazing um, that I didn't even really realize I finished the slam until I came
1: back. <laughs> <laughs> so were you aware of it that when you caught the first three? Like, were you trying, were you trying for it with the first three?
2: I wasn't trying because we were just on like a camping trip and we liked this area of like fishing and camping. So yeah, I was like, I went into it like, oh, I think, you know, I could do, I could get three of them here. And then I researched it. Oh yeah, I, I can get three of them here. And then I just kind of like let it go because I'm like, the Yellowstone Cutthroat is way further north. You know, we don't usually go that far. And then we just found ourselves in Yellowstone last summer. So, and I had forgotten about it really.
1: Well, that's fun. I, sh- I should see if Colorado has something similar. I haven't heard of anything. Um, we have like tournaments and stuff where it's like catch the most species in a in a, an amount of time and you get like teams and you have to go out and, but it's it's not all trout, you know, trout is a small portion of it. Um, but yeah, I'll just see if we have anything similar because we have several subspecies here. Um, although I'm not sure if it's maybe as, not as clear cut as what you have there because um, for us, we've had kind of like muddy waters over the years with, uh, they thought the State fish, the greenback, was uh, extinct for a while and they thought it was back and then they found out that it wasn't pure. So then they thought maybe it was extinct again. And Then they found the pure strain. So I I feel like there's been a lot of back and forth in Colorado. So I'm not sure uh, like where that stands these days, but I'll have to check that out and see if there's anything like that.
2: I don't know if they do genetic testing, you know, in in Utah. Um, A lot of the times it's hard to tell what species you're catching.
1: Yeah, I I was actually going to ask you about that. But then you mentioned that they give you kind of resources of like where to go to catch each one. And that's always what I've relied on, too. It's like, I know what's supposed to be in here. So I'm going to go ahead and trust that this is a fill in the blank cutthroat. But I cannot tell the difference between them.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of them you can but like the Bear River and the Bonneville. They look identical. It's really all about their drainages and where they are, which makes them genetically unique. But they look very similar.
1: You can't tell. I mean, the Yellowstone... I was going to say, can you tell the difference between the Yellowstone? Because that's the only one I've caught that seemed a little bit unique.
2: Not so much in Utah. The Colorado, for sure, because it has that really red underbelly. The Yellowstone, I mean, they're like this... They're like in these little streams you could jump across, and they're tiny. So, like, they just look like a pard mark, marked cutthroat. Like, you can't... They're not, like, big and, like, spotted like you'd find, you know, in Wyoming or, in, you know...
1: That's interesting that you say that because I had a different experience with Yellowstone cutthroats. like the ones I caught were um, very fat and chunky and very silvery. And that's how I was like, oh, this looks different from all the other ones. But I wonder if they're different, like where you are.
2: Yeah, it's probably where we are and what they live in. Because these streams, like they suggest that you call the area, call the the DNR, like the ranger up there, whatever, and see if there's water in the creek where you want to go fishing. Like they're really small streams that they don't have, they can't get really big, you know, and, and maybe look a whole lot different.
1: I don't know. And the ones I caught were in a deep lake. So I well, wonder if that's maybe yeah, what's causing the difference. Sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, they definitely changed their look on what they can eat and where they live. Sure. Just browns look different in that case too. You know. Yeah.
1: The only thing I, I feel like I've caught other subspecies of cutthroats in similar environments and they have generally looked fairly similar to how I've seen them in, in creeks, but just larger. And these ones almost, the Yellowstones that I caught were uh, silvery. Like they just had a different look to them too. But, but that's really cool to hear that, you know, the location matters so much for, for how they look. Yeah. I think they
2: can. Yeah. Just like brown trout, you know, they, some look more, you know, orange and some look darker. Some, I've even caught some brown trout that were like almost black.
1: Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Depending on what they're eating and where they're living. Yeah. Yep. So I, I saw that you mentioned, uh, kind of shifting gears here, I saw that you mentioned that you really like uh, swinging wet flies, and that's like most of what you do these days. Um, how'd you get into that specific area of fly fishing? Um, so the first experience with that was
2: uh, one of the classes I took in the first year and a half of uh, fly fishing. And I, just a class, like I, was, like I said, I was signing up for all the classes, just trying to get all of the knowledge I could. And learning that and the technique and how it felt to catch a fish doing that. I was like, this is like life changing. Like, this is so cool. I mean, I love fishing dry flies. I don't really love nymphing so much. I mean, it catches fish, but it's not as dynamic as, you know, watching a fish come up or swinging a fly. Uh, it's very effective, but um, you know, swinging that fly and all of a sudden like feeling a jolt in the fish there, it, it was like, like a lightning strike out of nowhere. You no, know I mean it was like it's like it's. I, I like gambling too, <laughs> like playing blackjack and cards. It's like you won and you didn't even know you were gonna win. You know, it's kind of like, like an oh, immediate oh, dopamine hit. Oh, totally! <laughs> like straight to the to the vein, you know. Um, and that's like what it felt like. It was it was really like funny as it as it is. It was kind of life changing. Um, And so I, I just got into it from there. Like, this is really effective. You know, you can do it in the wind. You can do it in really any type of water. You can use these flies in still water. Also, you're always in contact with the fly. Um, It's just exciting to catch a fish that way, in my opinion. And then, so I got into tying them because you know, there are certain flies I was using and then I just, you know, you get on a Facebook group and you get on YouTube and you just go down the rabbit hole
1: <laughs> with yep. all of
2: that. and they're fun to tie. They're pretty easy. Um, and I just found that they were just like really effective and really, um, dynamic to fish that way. Just, you can move a lot and yeah, it's just fun.
1: Now, do you, do you like swinging streamers as well? Or are you pretty set on the, the wet flies?
2: Yeah, so I, I call it the gateway drug to streamer fishing. Um, <laughs> that that hit when the fish eats is is the joy of streamer fishing. So that definitely turned into streamer fishing from there. And so I do like that certain times of the year. Absolutely, I love streamer fishing.
1: But do you prefer wet flies? Um, it depends on the time of the
2: year and where I'm at. You know, it, it's really similar. Cause I fish streamers like if I'm not on a boat and I'm wade fishing, I fish
1: streamers really similar
2: to. To wet fly fishing,
1: so you're more tied to the technique, and and you'll use then whatever is kind of the appropriate tool for the job at that at that moment.
2: Yeah, because you can fish streamers upstream and jig them down. You can fish wet flies upstream and bring them down under the surface of the water. You can strip wet flies. You can strip streamers. You can cast them down and across and let them swing down. Same with streamers. You know, like a lot of the technique is similar.
1: Basically, just more more interactive than dry flies and and nymphing. I know what you mean about nymphing. You know, it, sometimes it's the right right tool for the job but it can be kind of boring um whereas a dry fly you get to have the excitement of watching it eat but at the end of the day both are just cast it out and hope that it moves exactly at the speed of the current you're not really doing a whole lot apart from maybe mending um so uh, yeah i can see if if you like that more action action action-packed interactive experience that you'd gravitate more toward wet flies and streamers since they're kind of on the other end of the spectrum in terms of just how much you're able to manipulate the fly as it's as it's coming down
2: yeah you can change uh the speed um the cool thing about you know the wet flies is they always look correct in the water because they're symmetrical there's no top or bottom yeah it's just like a big grass skirt of, right. of feathers yeah feathers <laughs> so you know you don't have to have the perfect presentation always you don't have to be have the perfect cast um like i said it's great when it's windy so it's they're so versatile and i think you're really engaged too in like the bugs that are hatching, just like dry fly fishing or like, you know, what's emerging, what what's under the water. Like it's, you just, it, you have to be a part of the system um, and learn it to know what to fish. I, yeah. So it's just been something that stayed with me since I learned.
1: Are you, when you're fishing wet flies, are you still trying to like quote unquote match the hatch the same way? Cause I feel like wet flies don't necessarily look as exact of an imitation is something like a dry fly or a nymph that sometimes look exactly like what you're trying to imitate. But I feel like wet flies are a little bit more abstract, but I'm sure there's still, you know, you can match colors and things like that. How, how, how much into account are you taking, uh, like what's in the water or are you just kind of picking what feels right at the time? It's important what's in the water. It, I mean, there are
2: definitely are some nymphs that you look at at it and you're like well what is that and you're like well that could be you know a mayfly it could be a midge it could be a can it's like it could be any of those things i think wet flies are a little different than that i think they're even more specific actually they can be i mean you can dive into to making them really specific so for me when i'm tying and when i'm fishing them the color sometimes is important but it's more of the size and the profile that is the ultimate importance So, um, like you can tie wet flies for stone flies also. And so in that case, when there's stone flies around, like I know a wet fly, I want to drop below a, a dry fly right next to the bank. And it's one that, you know, is similar to a stone fly, which, you know, I may not use a pheasant tail soft tackle if like that I would use for caddis. And maybe I'll swing that later in the evening, but I think it can be specific with colors and with like shape and size for sure. But you can, oh, it's so hard because you can also get some that are kind of generic. Um,
1: What's what's your preferred? Because like I I like flies that are a little bit more, like I I would always rather choose a pheasant tail or a hares ear nymph or like something that can be lots of things. And I know other people really prefer matching that exact insect like for this waterway they're going to pick the one fly that was tied specifically for this like what do you prefer kind of covering all your bases with one pattern that can be a whole bunch of different things or would you rather try to really mimic one thing that's a good question I I'm thinking about like what my fly box looks like and
2: how I when I fish the seasons like my go-to flies and they're very season bug specific you can size things up and down, of course, with the same pattern. Um, but I do have favorite patterns for specific bugs. Like I have a favorite blueing pattern. I have a favorite midge pattern for sure. Um, caddis, there's a lot of varieties in that. Um, so I have a tendency to, to be closer in line with the bug that's around with my soft tackles that I'm fishing.
1: That's interesting. I, I don't have a lot of experience with soft tackles. I've tied some and I've occasionally like drifted some, but I haven't done, I haven't dedicated um, any time to just, I, I keep telling myself I'm going to like this summer, I'm only fishing wet flies. And then I just don't. Cause I'm like, yeah, I know how to do other things. Um, but in my mind, I think it's, I don't know enough about it to really know how deep it goes. Cause in my mind, I'm like, oh, there's wet flies and you swing them. Um, yeah. And the more I talk to people who do it, the more I'm like, this is a whole world that I, I just don't even know what I don't know.
2: Just get on YouTube and Google Davy McPhail. He's an Irishman, um, and he's an incredible tire, very soothing voice, and you can you can go in deep there um, with his stuff. Um, so I feel like yeah, I'm I'm probably pretty specific with what's hatching, what I'm fishing, and the time of year. So yeah, I think I am. I think I am more on the specific. So you're side. switching
1: things up pretty, pretty uh-huh. regularly to to mimic whatever's going on.
2: Yeah, for sure. Just like you would probably a dry fly, you know, more than a nymph.
1: Yeah, that's I I would definitely agree with that. Apart from maybe like a parachute atoms, which I feel like works basically year round for me, or like maybe a Griffith Snat, um, just because midges hatch year round. But anything more specific than that, I feel like you've got to really know what, and I've even had fish where you put on like one PMD pattern and it doesn't want it. And then you change it to a different PMD pattern and it does, um, where sure. they'll get down to the, the very specific pattern. But nymphs, I feel like you're right. It's, it's more like you can throw on a handful of tried and true patterns and something will take it. But the cool thing about, that made me think about um,
2: fishing wet flies is because you can fish them when nothing's rising. You can fish them when they're eating emergers and you can fish them when they're eating duns. So you can put floating on some of these, you know, you can use a, a, you know, really gentle sinking line to fish some of them. I can move fish with wet flies when there are no fish rising and they'll turn. I can see them under the water, go for it. Like they'll come up under the water. Like they'll launch out of the water. Some of the patterns I have little streamer patterns that are wet fly patterns. And you're like, there are no fish moving. And then I'll get fish that just like launch out of the water for those (laughs) flies. It is so exciting that they really agitate and like, you know, excite the fish to eat it. They're so, because they're, they are they have so much movement in them and they look real and they're pulsing and they're, you know.
1: Well, it's um, moving. So I feel like they, they have this, probably this thing in their mind where they're like, it's now or never. Like I have to chase it. Uh yeah. It's like whereas, a dog chasing a ball. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> instinct. How you do that? It's instinct, right? Well, there's and something wrong like... with my dog because she doesn't, she doesn't go for the balls as much. So oh, okay. she's broke. But <laughs> I'm sure there's fish like that too that just don't, they just don't want to play.
2: Yeah, why? but why does a dog chase a ball? I don't know. Why does a fish, maybe a predatorial and you know, instinct. But why does a fish chase a a fly moving in the water? It's instinct. It's predatorial. Like want to eat it. I don't know. It just looks. I don't know why. But it, like, there'll be nothing going on, and I can often move fish. It's pretty cool.
1: Now, how do your how do your uh, techniques change when you're like putting floatin on it because I assume you're no longer trying to make it dive and swing or, or, or are you and you're trying to keep it closer to the surface when, you, when you're doing that so
2: you can put floatin on like say you're fishing midges and uh one of my favorite midge patterns that will work all year long is the sills midge and you can tie them big you can tie them small so you can tie them really big to look like a buffalo midge or cluster midge and then you can add floatin to those and fish them upstream on top of the water
1: Oh, so you're basically fishing them like a dry fly at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You
2: just, yeah. You dress up and you fish them on the surface. You could, um, fish them upstream just under the surface, maybe a little less floating or none at all. And just kind of hold, you know, high stick it and you can fish it upstream. You can fish it just, you know, under the water, high sticking it down towards you and just, you know, manage your line. And that's really effective for midges and depending on how, what the, where the fish are keying in on, you know, in the water column. Um, there are some folks out there um, that will fish numerous wet flies. Some are, you know, maybe have wings on them, and some like they'll fit. They call it a, a cast of characters. Where, and you know, if they can in certain bodies of water fish three at a time. That's a very traditional way, and have tags and and fish them upstream to down and not swing them and just fish them in the water column that way.
1: And are you just feeling? How are you feeling for your take? Are you just tight lining and just setting it on if you feel, feel a bump or? Um, fishing upstream, you can if you're really
2: kind of, uh, you have good line management. You can feel them. You get really often see them because you're not fishing super deep. So you'll see a fish flash or turn sometimes before you feel it, especially if you're fishing just under the surface. Um, but even even deeper, or you can, if you're watching the line, you can see it, you know go tight for sure. Yeah. So it's a different, it's a different feel. It's a different technique. It's much harder, um, than just down and across where they eat it and you feel it right away. And you just, yeah, really, they almost hook you know, themselves at that point. They do. They, do. they eat it and turn and they hook themselves. That's the hardest part. I think about the like, just learning wet flies is taking that moment just to let them hook themselves before you raise your rod tip. I know when I started, I just kept like missing fish, like they'd eat it. And I couldn't, like set the hook and you just have to take a, take a breath before you raise the rod tip. Like let them turn and eat it because usually that's what they're doing. Exactly.
1: It's weird how how uh, different species and techniques of fishing and stuff require such different hook sets. Because like I grew up fishing smallmouth bass and uh, I was aware of the concept of a hook set. But I didn't do it for maybe the first 15 years I fished because smallmouth bass just hook themselves. They grab mm-hmm. and go. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started fishing for trout that I really had to learn how to hook set. And even before that, what I was aware of was a bass hook set, like a large mouth bass where you just yank it. And uh, so I think it was good that I maybe hadn't had to set a hook before that because the trout set was basically the first set I learned. And I know a lot of people when they first get started are, are really bad at setting the hook because they're overdoing it. And uh, I, I could see that being a benefit almost not having any, like basically coming in as a blank slate. Um, but like you said, now it, it, there's so many different ways that fish set, 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 themselves on the hook, I guess. Um, yeah. but it's not, it's not just as simple as knowing to yank when you feel something.
2: Yeah. Especially, I mean, that, oh, that's just an, a whole nother concept of if you're fishing a big dry with big fish and you have to wait longer.
1: Oh um, my God. That's really hard when you see a, oh, a fish can... like
2: slowly come up. Yeah. <laughs> So they come up with a big bug and you have to wait for him to bring it down or sometimes even trout kind of do like the bass thing, like the toilet bowl where like it's a disappearing fly. I, I fish for smallies in Wisconsin, which I'm going in a couple weeks. I cannot wait is, you know, if, if the fly disappears, you set the hook. And sometimes trout can be like that with dry flies too, where they, the, you're like, the fly was just there. Like, I didn't even see the fish. Yeah. It's just you know? gone. <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole part of the game, right. Is, is the hook set. Absolutely.
1: When, when that happens in clear water, at least you can see the fish come up and you see, you know, where the, the fly went. But um, I don't know if you've ever had that happen in like turbid water where the fly literally just seems to vanish. And there's no, there's no real like ripple or anything. And you didn't see the fish because it's murky and it's just gone. And yeah. it's like oh, you just so fish that way. <laughs> <laughs> like, I
2: don't know what to do. Like, I don't know if I was fast or slow or, you know. Oh, it's. Fun and the same with like fishing streamers from a boat to like watch it all happen. I always like that's for me like that's the biggest like mind game with fish is watching it and see if I make you know if I don't screw it up because it's so exciting and you see it all happen and like I do way better not seeing the fish eat. <laughs> yeah, eat. I'm trying to like control myself, you know, to make it happen. You
1: um, know, I know I know you mentioned that you don't do a lot of still water, but one thing I would encourage you to give it a try if you're just like. You know, I'm kinda of getting bored and I wanna try something new. Um, one thing that I find with still water, if you're fishing clear still water for big fish, uh, because they can come up from so much deeper and there's no current taking the fly away, they can take their grand old time getting from below up to your dry fly. And that is such like an adrenaline rush when you're watching a huge fish just like slowly rise in the water column and you're like, I don't know if it's gonna reject it, I don't know if it's gonna take it and then the moment it does, like you get to watch it for so much longer because in a stream, the fish has got to choose, you know, I, I'm going to take it or I'm going to not take it. So if you ever want like a, a real rush and want to give Stillwater a try, um, that's some of like the most heart pounding fishing uh, yeah. experiences I've had is watching big fish come up in lakes. And are you doing that on a boat? Uh, sometimes a belly boat, but um, often just from shore as well. Okay. I haven't had that experience Stillwater fishing because usually
2: when I'm doing it, we're down, you know, nine feet or I'm fishing streamers in the dark, you know, from the shore. So I haven't had that. I've seen video of it, you know, like watching fish, like swim around the thing and then finally go after it. And you're
1: like, what are they doing? (laughs) I'm sure you have some lakes that you could do this, like high mountain lakes in Utah. Because that's normally what it is here is like the cutthroats and the alpine lakes in Colorado, they'll get really big. And I'm sure you guys are in the same boat. Uh, So I'm sure you've got something somewhere you can go and try it.
2: Oh, I'm sure. I'm going to keep that in mind. That sounds like a thrill.
1: And especially since you said you'd rather catch a couple large fish than a bunch of small ones, I feel like this would be right up your alley. Yeah. Don't you think that everybody has like that fishing journey of like when you first get started,
2: you just you want to get out there and just like catch a bunch of fish. Like you don't care how you do it. You know, you just want to like you just want to catch fish. Right. And then you get out there and you're like, well, I want to catch a fish maybe in this way. You know, I want to use like this technique. And, but I still want to catch a ton of fish. And they're like, well, maybe I want to catch just a few fish that are a little bigger than I remember, you know, in this technique. And then I think then it's just like, I just want to do it this way, catch the biggest fish, and then like go home. And then I think the last one is, and this is what I hear, I'm not there yet, is like, I just want to go to the river and just like hang out and take pictures. Yeah. Like watch somebody (laughs) else catch fish.
1: So I'm definitely not there yet. I don't have enough years under my belt there, but. I feel uh, like maybe there's a halfway point where you're not just going deliberately to take pictures, but you're acknowledging that it's okay if you don't catch anything, you'll still have a good time. And I feel yeah. like maybe that's where I'm at, where it's like, I, I'm not going to go and not fish. Like, I i don't know if I'll ever hit that stage, but but I can come out of it being like, that was still fun, you know, even if I didn't catch anything.
2: For sure. Yeah. Or And definitely, you know, trying different techniques, um, challenging yourself maybe with a sinking line a floating line like swinging flies or fishing dry something you don't normally do you know i think we all kind of get hung up on like i like these certain flies i want to use these well if you catch a couple fish like try a different fly maybe try the ugliest one you tied and see if it works you know that's always fun is to like keep it fresh and push yourself like you can never not learn something out there or change it up
1: and it's so hard though to do it or to to make that change when you know how you do reliably catch fish. Because like I said, I've been wanting to to kind of dedicate a summer to wet flies, but then I go out and I'm like, ah, but I know I can catch fish doing it this way and I might not catch as many fish if I do it that way. So like, it, it's really hard to make yourself try a new technique unless you've already caught a whole bunch of fish. But you might surprise yourself. It might really be fun. You might catch a lot of fish. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it could happen. I mean, you never, you never know until you try it. But there are certain
2: rivers where I go, I'm like, this is a niffing river, you know, that I'm just like that's just what you do there. Yeah. But, you know, um, but even some of those lately, I'm like, oh, I'm going to swing some flies and see what happens, you know, and maybe I don't do it all day. Like, do you have to, you know, there's no like right or wrong way to your day. You know, you can try it for a little bit or definitely maybe when you see fish, like really starting to get moving, it's a great time to swing flies because they're super active.
1: The chasing you know. stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Before they're eating the duns on the water. I mean, give, yeah, give it a try. You don't have to do it all day, but, um, I think it'll really surprise you, especially when there are no fish rising. It can be really effective. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. It's way better than watching a bobber, I think, when oh, that's yeah, Pretty much off. anything oh, is, yeah. At least you're casting a bunch and walking and, yeah. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> I think one of the best the best times to try that in, like, the best way possible is uh, – when you've already caught so many fish in one day doing something that you're like if I don't catch any more fish I really couldn't care less Mm -hmm. uh and so that I feel like it's the perfect time to try a new technique because you don't want to go out there and then not catch anything and you're like well you know I would have caught fish like you're thinking of what what if like what if I had done what I'm comfortable with I would have caught fish but if you've already caught a ton like this happened to me recently in Wyoming where I had already caught so many fish nymphing that I was like I don't care if they're not rising I'm gonna try dry fly and see if they eat something right Um, it's like yeah. It's perfect. Cause you're like, I don't, if I don't catch anything else, like no worries. Yeah. And
2: I I'm at the point with wet flies that I, I mean, if the fish aren't rising, it's like, that's all I'm doing. But sometimes even when the fish are rising, I'm like, Oh, I have to change my wet fly. Like, I love dry fly fishing, but I'm like, so into wet fly fishing. At- <laughs> like, I'm got- so, rising. No, I mean, I should practice what I preach, you know, like change it up. But like, well, this is, But I really love swinging flies. I love like the jolt at the end. I like to see the fish move that, you know, I mean, there's so much about it that I'm kind of stuck on now at this point. Um, but I try not to, I try not to limit myself because there's always something to learn doing something different or just not getting stuck in a pattern.
1: You know, it's no fun if you you know, feel like you've peaked and there's nothing else to, to do or try. I feel like what, you know, what draws you in at the beginning is that it is this like foreign concept. You've never done this before. It's something, you know, intriguing, mysterious, and there's all kinds of stuff to learn. And you, it sometimes can start to get boring, but then you realize that like, no, you can just not, you can just let it not get boring by just trying something new and making it a learning experience. Yeah. I
2: can't imagine fly fishing ever being boring.
1: No, there's always something new to do
2: holy hell it's so
1: it's so and every day is so different you know too when you go out there like it's never the same well like you mentioned like the stages you go through where you want to catch a bunch of fish or you want to catch a big fish and you start Mm -hmm. to get comfortable with just like being out there um i feel like that changes day to day for me too like in i see what you mean in general like you know when you first start out you want to catch a fish and and then it starts to change like do you want to try a new technique but there's days i want to go out and i'm like you know what i just I do want to just catch a bunch of little fish. Like that'll just be a blast to be out there with my friends and everyone's catching fish. And then other days I'm like, I'm just not interested in catching a bunch of small fish. Like I'm going to focus on the one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then other days I'm like, I just want to be somewhere by myself. Like I don't care if the fishing's good. I just want to be on the water. Um, So I feel like even day to day, it's just like, what kind of mood are you in? Yeah, and that can help you pick the location
2: and where you want to fish too. You know, bring with, it all back
1: around. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> what are your
2: objectives for the day? Do you just want to go like rail on a bunch of fish? Do you just, you want to go see if a, you know this in uh, a certain area holds fish or what size or um, you just want to wet wade and you want to go in a small stream? I mean, yeah, it's it's so fun to like think about where I'm going to fish next and like get prepared for the next day and like tie flies and research. Like that's part of like my stoke too, to get going is like, I love sitting down tying flies the day before a trip. Like, Oh my gosh, I could stay up till one in the morning and I'll be so tired the next day. Cause I'm just like geeking out on like getting everything ready. And you know, it's just a part of like the fun adventure of it.
1: I agree. I, I find the, the prep is like sometimes, well, I don't, I'll never say it's like more fun than the fishing, but it's, it's, it has at times been just as fun as the fishing itself is to, to get it all planned out. And like the yeah. night before you're like, Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It gets you amped.
2: I know. See, we're the same in that way. I love it.
1: Um, I, I've joked before that I would like, and maybe this job could exist, but like a, a fly fishing trip planner. Cause I see people come on like, uh, like the fly fishing subreddit and they'll be like, Hey, where can I fish around wherever? And I'm like, Maybe you could get paid to just plan someone's like week long fishing trip, like DIY fishing trip where they're like, hey, I want to hit a couple lakes. I want to hit a couple rivers. I want to catch this and that. And like you could just go through and just play on the maps and read stuff about places and then just like have them pay you a couple hundred bucks to send them a full package of like just follow my itinerary. Like I've planned it for you. And you can that way you could like be in the planning process even when you don't have a trip coming up. I feel like that would be kind of a dream job. Yeah. It's like being like a travel agent, you know, like that's plan your trip. (laughs) But you don't Um, have to call the airlines and stuff.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's an interesting thought. Like I'm a little torn on that one because I would think like some of, you know, the locations and, and trips you would send people on, you've, you've done work to get to that point. Yeah. Like like you you wouldn't want to give up your findings. Yeah. Like, would you feel comfortable Sharing that whole itinerary, maybe you just charge money.
1: thousands of dollars for the ones you're not sure about. <laughs> there's a price, there's a price yeah.
2: to that for you. <laughs> I don't know if I have a price on that, but
1: I've had friends like friends' husbands be like, Hey,
2: I want to make, I want to send my wife somewhere. Like, where do you suggest in like this area? And I'm like, Oh, do this loop that you know. So, like, I'll do that sometimes for people that I know and you know, stuff like that, but yeah, to share um some spots
1: might be a little that's that's true like I feel like sometimes when I find something I'm like oh I bet no one else knows about this yeah. even though I'm, you know people do but you know it's yeah, not widely sure. known so you feel like Everybody you've found it. everything Oh, right. Yeah. I don't think there are any secrets anymore, but doesn't mean you have to share where you've been. Right. Right. Yeah, I think you just hike the price up for the ones that you're uh, that you feel like are more of a hidden gem than the other ones, and you can you can sell the uh, the stuff that everybody knows about for a much cheaper price.
2: Yeah, with a non-disclosure.
1: Uh, right. I mean, <laughs> you cannot tell anyone about this. Non-compete, non-disclosure. You may not share. You may not tell. <laughs> you, don't, don't send anybody else here, and don't tag it. <laughs> there we go. I think we've just invented a new career. There we go. <laughs> you first. What's your price? Let's <laughs> <Okay. laughs> see how much money you make. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, we, we can get wrapping up soon. Um, we start a little bit late, so I don't want to keep you too long. But um, do you have any anywhere that if people want to come find you? I, I did see that you run some like groups in, in Utah. So uh, if people want to get a hold of you or maybe join you in, in one of um, the groups you're in, where can people find you?
2: Okay. So my main um, Instagram is Heidi Aqua on on Instagram there. And then I started Utah Women Fly Fishers in 2013. I believe that group is that old um, now. So we're on Facebook. Um, There's like a private group, Utah Women Fly Fishers, and then there's an Instagram. Um, Kind of in a lull with COVID, but I do, especially if somebody's in the Facebook group, you know, I'll have events in there for casting and sometimes some fish outs and things like that. or if they want information on, you know, where can I take a class um, outside of, you know, what we do, I can I can help them with that um, and send them in the right direction or, uh, you know, suggest a guide in the area or something like that. So, yeah, those mostly Instagram and a little bit on Facebook. Perfect. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And I know you had a kind of a hectic day, so I, I'm glad you took the time to do this. This is a lot of fun. I always love talking about fishing. I mean, we could probably go on and on. <laughs> all right well i will uh i'll let you get going but thanks so much yeah have a good night nice chat with you all right guys thanks for listening uh don't forget to head over to the website fishuntame.com for all episodes and show notes and also please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app That'll get my episodes delivered straight to your phone. And also, if you have not yet, please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review. That's very helpful for me, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Other than that, thank you guys again for listening, and I will be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody.